Hey, bowlers, bowling this month is back. Bowling this month is bowling's trusted technical resource that's relied upon by thousands of serious bowlers, pro shop operators, and professional coaches. From independent ball reviews to great instructional articles on all facets of our sport, you'll find it all at bowlingthismonth.com. For less than the price of a cup of coffee per month, you can have online access to Bowling This Month's premium technical bowling content that will help you improve your game. Bowling This Month is so confident you'll be satisfied, they're offering a 14-day money-back guarantee to all subscribers. Check out BowlingThisMonth.com and sign up today. Now is the time to reinforce your bowling arsenal, and BowlerX.com is the online leader in price, service, and selection. With free insured shipping on every item we carry, including a complete line of pro shop supplies, as well as balls, bags, shoes, accessories, and more. Also check out the large selection of closeout and discontinued items at a fraction of their original cost. BowlerX.com, your online bowling superstore and proud sponsor of Above180.com. You can hear Above 180 on Stitcher Smart Radio. Stitcher allows you to listen to your favorite shows directly from your iPhone, Android phone, Kindle Fire, and beyond, on demand and on the go. Don't have Stitcher? Download it for free at Stitcher.com or in the app stores. Stitcher Smart Radio, the smarter way to listen to radio. BowlerX.com, your online bowling equipment superstore, presents the Above180.com podcast. Tim Berg is ready to hit the lanes, approaching the issues that you, the bowler, want to know. From the latest equipment reviews, coaching, to drilling layouts, and the stars of the PBA. Now, here's your host, Tim Berg. Joining me today on the Above180.com podcast is Bill Hall. Bill is a silver certified USBC coach. He worked for the tour back in the 1980s and coached internationally as well from 1998 to 2012. Bill is also the founder of Blend 10 Bowling. Bill, Tim Berg here. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, thank you, Tim. It's a pleasure to be back. Well, Bill, thought to get you on to talk about a couple different things, uh, first of which being Blend 10, which was uh, you started Blend 10 Bowling Balls. You got some equipment out there, and it's almost been a year. So let's talk about Blend 10 and how that's been going and, and some of the uh, you know what the how the bowlers are taking to these new pieces that are out there. Well, you know it has been just a little over a year now, and we've actually just released another bowling ball called the Intensity. The Intensity is uh, basically we took our original release, which was the OSW, the Old School Works, and we took that core and we put it into a much uh, more modified cover stock. Uh, it gives it a nice even arc off the dry and. Basically, that's what we're aiming at because the oil balls, some people like them, but you know what? There's a lot of players out there that, you know, they don't know how to jump 10 feet into the into the left ditch and if you're right-handed and wheel it across the lane. So we're kind of working more towards even arcs and very predictable ball motions because we find that most people are really looking in that direction these days. Well, and the last thing you want to begin with is a ball, and then you have to put it away after five frames, whether that's league or whether that's a tournament. I mean, it's it's always good to have conditional pieces, but for league, you want something you can stick with for at least a little bit. Absolutely, and I mean, that's one thing. You know, uh, recently the PBA was very, very kind, and uh, thank you to Tom Clark and Bill Vince. They sent me some photos of the blue oil, and I'm literally working right as we speak uh trying to put together a video that shows a lot more about what the blue oil is about and what it can really teach people. 
because they seem to only look at it one way, like, okay, well, that's where they're playing. There's a whole lot more information on those photos and on that blue oil than people actually realize. And recently during a conversation with Tom Clark, uh, we actually came to a, a very big agreement. I think in the near future, blue oil is going to be on every lane. It's not just going to be on the PBA. It may not be blue, but definitely colored oil will be on league play, tournament play. Um, I think it's going to be one of the waves of the future. Well, it's a way for bowlers, and I uh, I did a, a filling in for uh, one of the guys at, at the radio station, Talk Radio Network, sitting in with Jerry Doyle. And one of the things I was explaining, Jerry's a very novice bowler, but one of the things I was explaining to him about the different oil and, and how you can make the lanes play more difficult and such. And to people that are novices, that's that's all foreign to them. They can't see their, you know, bowling is a sport where we can't see our uh, obstacles, you know, like uh, unlike golf and unlike other sports, but bowling is a sport. So I think you're right. That's going to be something that will help the players and the people that come out and just bowl maybe once, twice, three times a year to see the oil and see how it's moving around and, and help them understand things. Absolutely. And speaking of, I actually listened to you on the Jerry Doyle show, and I must say you did a great job. Um, I know it's hard to get on a radio and have everything perfectly clear, but, you know, you, I thought you came across really well, and uh, I wanted to commend you on that. Very nice job. Well, thank you, uh, Bill. So let's, um, let's move along because let's talk about one of the things that sometimes gets lost, and as, as I improve and, and gain knowledge in, into this sport, terminology is something that seems to be a lost art. So let's talk about how you think terminology plays a part in bowling these days. Well, you know, I mean, when you go back and you look at history, and I am quite a bit of a history nut, and I look at a lot of the black and white films and uh, the early, you know, as far back as I can go, and I mean, you can't find anything beyond the 50s that's discernible that you can really look at. Um, but when you look, you know, we have some terminologies in bowling that are just, I don't know, they're, I think they confuse players more than help them, such as pendulum arm swing. There's actually no such thing. The reason I know that is a pendulum, by definition, requires a stationary access point, for a mechanism to move to and fro of equal distance. Well, when you think about it, it begins with a stationary axis point. We're moving, so how can we possibly have a pendulum with a stationary axis point if we're moving? And the shape is actually much more like a roller coaster. Actually, I've posted a few times. Or if you want to think about it, it's a really, as you set the ball into the swing and then it creates like a fish hook look. And that's actually the shape and that people really need to have. And I find that people trying to doing a pendulum actually interfere with what they're doing. And there's a few others, you know, like um, and the late great John Jowdy. He and I, let me tell you what, I, I give credit where it's due. And he really helped me learn about the game and the physical game. He had an interpretation of sitting down on the step before the slide. Now, I look at that same body position, and to me, it's not so much as sitting down as it is in a chair. It's much more looking like someone getting out of a chair, their body's propelled forward. So we both saw the same thing, but the terminology of what we see is very different from each other. And even when Earl Anthony, a long time ago, uh, he gave me a private lesson, which I'm very blessed for, and he told me some things, you know, like 
there's really not so much as a square to the foul line as it is having your body in a proper position to allow your hand to come underneath you. Now, you go back and look at all that stuff, and that's actually what they did. They weren't actually literally square to the foul line. They were much more positioned to the, the shape of the shot they were making. So you hear all these terminologies, and I think really it really interferes with people because you, when you try and follow a terminology, you end up doing things that are against what your body is, such as let's bring one more into play, push away. Push away implies that you move your arms far away from you. And actually, it's nothing more than the elbows moving away from you a couple of inches and the hands laying down. So you find that people try and do too much because of the terminology push away. Um, there's a lot of them when you look at it. But I, I think that that's one of the things I'm going to work on in the near future is I'm, I am working on a DVD. And I think I'm going to put a whole bunch of stuff in there about what actually happens and what we hear. So that way maybe it'll give people a better understanding. Well, and I know one of the things, too, and tell me if this is one of, one of the things that you think, but working the inside of the bowling ball, to me that makes sense in my head. But doing it is another aspect, and if my body's in its right position, I will work the inside of the bowling ball. Is that correct? Is that kind of where you're going to with this? Absolutely. I mean, if you look at all the players, their upper body rotates quite a bit. That's what works their hand to the inside of the ball. So when people are looking at the hand, I'm going, yeah, that's nice, but it's the position of the body and the upper body rotation that allowed that hand to work to the inside part of the ball. If your shoulders are very let's go with square to the foul line, you can't get your hand to open in that position and you can't work the inside of the ball. If you try, all you're going to do is go around the ball a lot earlier than you're supposed to, and usually we throw it, we call it throwing the spin biscuit because you're not going to have any leverage at the foul line to complete the motion of the release. And, Bill, I need you to hold that thought coming up as a quick update with Bowling This Month owner, Bill Semsrott. First up, we've got Heather D'Erico with an article about back pain, where she gives us some great tips on what we as bowlers can do to reduce our risk. Next, we've got a new article from USBC Gold Coach Susie Minshew about bowling under pressure and how you can learn to make your best shot when it matters most. And then finally, we've got an article from Team Canada's head coach Tyrell Rose about the different types of focus that come into play throughout bowling's shot cycle. For all this and more, please visit BowlingThisMonth.com and sign up for your no-obligation free trial. Back to you, Tim. Great stuff, Bill. For all those articles and more, check out BowlingThisMonth.com. All right. Well, Bill, let's um, let's head over to the USBC Open Championships heading on in El Paso. Um, right now, as of, as of taping, we have a uh, team leading it, shot 33-68, I believe. Uh, a talented crew, Adam Barda, Rob Gottschall, Mike Rose Jr., etc., First off, talk about, you know, what do you think? Is that a score that's probably going to end up pulling up? I know we're probably um, just under maybe the halfway point or about two months into the tournament. You know, do you think that's a score on on, on that lane condition that will hold up, or do you think someone's going to jump out there and maybe shoot a 3,400? I just still have the feeling that there's going to be a 3,400 shot. A lot of good teams have gone through there, but a lot of the winning teams haven't gone through there yet. A lot of them go a little bit later. Um, but when you look, I mean, I'll give somebody a tip. I, when I was watching it on the uh, extra frame, one thing that I noticed is everybody that is scoring well is using very even arcing bowling, bowling balls. You don't see anybody scoring well where they've got the ball going too far down the lane and then jackknifing off the back end. It's actually it looks more like an old school type ball motion 
where it's got a lot more skid, hook, roll to it, and more so much of what you see on a house condition where it's so skid, skiddy and then snappy. And those that can control that arc are the ones that are scoring right now. And I've seen people line up on different parts of the lane. It, you know, it's it's just coming down to making shots and, and really having a nice even ball motion. Well, yeah, and I know um, a couple different things I want to get your thoughts on. Had a, had Mo Pinnell on a podcast maybe a month or so back, and one of the things Mo thought would work is to play the outside part of the lane, play this. He almost he compared it to a cheetah, which we were just talking earlier about what, what that means in our head. But he talked about playing it almost like a, a, a 37, 36-foot pattern, a cheetah pattern. What are your thoughts on that? Because after he said that, and I took uh, I took kind of his advice and went out and did that. Now, granted, it's not the same condition, not the same set, you know, lanes, et cetera, which you can talk all about from from your time at Baton Rouge about when you you know do a new, do a new install versus what you have at the stadium. But um, is that something where you would subscribe to that theory, or do you think you know that I've you know three, four, five, two, three, four, or do you think that's a little too far too far out there for most players? I think it's a little too far out for most players. I mean, it's not a bad option that if you've got a group of players that, you know, you've got your A team and your B team and you guys can work their pair together, it's not a bad option. But there's a lot of players that aren't very comfortable playing that far out. You know, you may want to break them down six, seven, eight, and then allow yourself to get in. But as far as getting too far out, you know, it's viable, but what I've found is, you know, especially when you have stadium lanes and stuff like that, normally the outside two, three boards, you know, actually one through four, don't play as consistently. And it, it maybe because it's uh, a temporary building or a temporary install, but even when I was in Baton Rouge, there were only a few pairs that I knew that they could play outside. Most of them, you had to jump in a little bit more than what you thought. And really, that's kind of what I'm seeing on extra frame right now is they're breaking them down, you know, six, seven, eight, roughly. But then the moves are, are a little bit uh, more parallel, and then there's the big jump. It's, that's kind of how they're breaking them down right now. Well, and that's kind of the thing, too. I'm guessing if you're going to play that far outside, your whole guy, you know, your whole crew has to commit to it. Because if you have one or two out there, and the rest of them trying to play a little bit to the inside, it's just going to create havoc for the players playing out there because of because of the way the oil is going to be be shifting around on the lanes. Correct? Absolutely. What you'll end up doing is creating what we call a butterfly. That's where you got uh, one ball going traveling from left to right for a right-hander, and you're going across the pattern, and you got someone going up straighter, and they're going inside the pattern. What they're doing is, if you think of a butterfly. With the two wings, one in the front part and one in the back part, and all you're doing is making them a little more difficult for yourself because you don't have a consistent track to play off of. So if you do it, you've got to get everybody committed to it, and you got to be able to play smart. Excellent. Well, great stuff. So you think? Um, so you think someone, some one of the teams is going to step up? I noticed the one thing I saw, and these guys actually, you know, these guys put together games of ten fifty seven, eleven twenty three, eleven eighty eight, which is traditionally how how you know back in the old days, and, and you know even as back as five ten years ago, how it would go when you went to the USBC Open. Your first game, you hope to shoot a ten fifty ish, and then you go big the next two games. Where last year, I think it was um, name escapes me who we chatted with, but he had basically said. You know the pattern was already broke down, so you didn't have to worry about breaking down the lanes and maybe having, a, a, you know, sacrificing a little bit that first game. You could just get out there and go right away. So you know, I think this year, 
you know, it's it's going to take a take a good team to go out there. And uh, let's talk a little bit. I always sometimes forget about doubles and singles. Pattern seems to play the same, but it's going to be a you know it's going to be tough. I know we've had a couple nice sets, uh, you know, nice seven seventies. You think someone's going to get eighteen? You know, going to get that eight hundred or, or possibly or and even doubles? Could we see some? You know, a couple fourteen? You know, fourteen hundred. Um, I don't see any 800s popping up. I, I just don't, you know. Um, but again, I could be wrong. I mean, anything can happen, especially in a competition where so many good bowlers go through. If you get the right look on it and you get the right look early enough, yeah, you could possibly do it. But I just don't see it at this point. Um, but what I've seen, again, I'm going to go back to the same thing, is everybody that is scoring well is scoring with a very even arc in their hands. They're not scoring with anything overly aggressive. They're not scoring with anything that jackknifes. It's everything is, it almost looks, and I, I want to kind of compare this to it. Um, it, it's got the urethane type role, but using reactive, reactive resin. That's basically what I'm looking at when I watch right now. Great. So I want to talk about the installs and such. And this was a new install. You were down in Baton Rouge, as you alluded to earlier and such. Uh, when the install is done, is it you know is it basically done? They they go in succession from one all the way down, or do they do piecemeal all the way through? Is there anything bowlers should maybe be watching regarding certain pairs or anything of that sort? Any tips on the install portion of this? Um, I've always noticed, no matter whether it's a stadium or fresh install or a bowling alley that's stationary, really, it's always to me the first ten lanes always play pure. The next four lanes seem to be questionable then they play pure again and it's always that like 10 lane successions they always bowl they always seem to be more pure now with their install when i was in baton Rouge, i can't remember his last name but his first name was lou and he was the head mechanic and he was the head guy of the lanes and let me tell you what that guy was fanatical if he's there this year and i would assume he is let me tell you, he's going to make sure every lane is as level as he can possibly make it and make it as fair as possible so that you're not only, when you're bowling on the lane, you're not trying to fight topography. You're trying to read the pattern properly and don't get any trick pairs. And i got to believe Lou is doing that right now in uh, El Paso. He's one of the best in the business. There's no doubt about it. Awesome stuff. And, again, people want to find out more about you, they can go to BillHallBowling.com. And, Bill, also, I, I'd be remiss, we should talk. You're also in uh, in Vegas. So why don't you talk about, you know, if someone's out there, maybe they're coming out for the, oh, you know, the uh, the Bowl Expo or anything where they want to step by and say, hi, where are you at? Uh, where's your physical shop and location at? Well, I'm, I work basically out of Texas Station, and uh, that's where I am most of the time. I actually work in the pro shop part-time there, too. And uh, I would love for anybody to be able to come out and visit. Just give me a call or look, my, or look me up when you're in town. And my phone number is very accessible. It's 702-885 and the traditional 2695. Awesome. Well, great stuff, Bill. It was great to catch up with you. And keep uh, keep me informed on that video and, and everything that you're putting together because I know that will be very interesting and stuff that bowlers and, and again, knowledge is key for everyone here but that's something that i think will help us all out to to get that stuff out because i know for me as you know someone who's still trying to learn in this game and still trying to work out some of the kinks there's some things that i know that i need to be working on and that i need to fix but the terminology just isn't there and in my head it's not there and then once you start thinking too much then it's all then it's all then all bets are off so 
I think simplifying the game, and some people make it way too complicated, frankly, I think simplifying the game is, is better for everyone here. Absolutely. You want to just keep your thought pattern really very simple. Most of your thought patterns should be before you get on the approach. You should already have the images of what you want to do before you set your feet on the approach. And proof of that is watch how good like uh, the best players are. They don't take very much time once they set their feet. They get set up, they put their eyes up to where they want to go, and they're on their way. Awesome stuff, Bill. Thanks as always. Thank you, Tim, and I appreciate you having me on the show.